Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Isaiah 46, uh, starting in verse 9. This is a, uh, I, I love in the book of Isaiah, there's several sweeping declarations about the nature of God. You know, sometimes we need to, of course, understand how things relate to us, how God's word and his promise and his, really just his relationship with God impacts us individually. So, so when the Bible describes God as our healer, that has an effect in our life as he brings healing to us. He's our savior as he saves us from our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. There's, there's things that God's nature provides for us, but there's some statements in scripture that just describe God all by himself, that he is who he is, not only in how it affects us, but uh, in contrast, especially for the nation of Israel, because in the Old Testament especially, and this is still true in many parts of the world, but their view of God was limited to a God they had shaped with their own hands, a statue, an image, an idol, a picture, a painting. Uh, but, but God wants to describe and set himself apart in the eyes of his people. And so Isaiah 46 is one of those such passages. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God. In other words, he's saying, recall to mind the things I've done, what I've said, who I am. For I am God, there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Verse 10 is where I want us to focus on this morning, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all that I want, all my pleasure. And so God's basically saying, first off, he's letting God's people know. He's saying, just as a way of reminder, in case we forgot, he's, he's God. And if he's God, nothing else is. So if he's God, the things that take our affection, our attention, our, our, or, or that we even fear are not in control, are not standing uh, in heaven far above, but God himself is, stands alone. He stands apart. And that also is true for us to recognize in our own lives. Sometimes the best lesson I can learn is he's God, I'm not. So when he's charting the course, his course is so much better than my own. And so here's what he says of himself, though. He says, I'm the God who declares the end from the beginning. God's not making things up as he goes. He's not responding or reacting. In fact, one of the kind of in theology, one of the understandings of God is that he's not just going to, he doesn't experience time as we do. Uh, and I, you know, this, this kind of gives me a little bit of a headache trying to figure it all out. Just like God is omnipresent, God's not just geographically everywhere. He's as much in yesterday as he is in today. So why that's important for us on a practical level is that God is never reacting to what the enemy's doing, what's going on in the world, but God already has from the very beginning of, of all time has declared the end. He's already declared how things are going to turn out, and he's let us know even in his own words. So don't panic by what you're seeing. Just remember that it all works out in the end. Come on. We win because Jesus won. And, and so this is so important to recognize. Even the devil who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy from so many lives, including us, uh, that, that when the enemy's at work, he's just raging because he knows his time is short. He's gotten a peek at the end of the book, and it doesn't work out good for him. Uh, so this is important. that We understand that God declares the end from the beginning. And as we've been going through this series, Stuck in the Middle, we've been looking at that space, that season of life, that place between where we've prayed and where we see the prayer answered. 
where we've received a promise and where we see that promise fulfilled, where we, uh, we, we feel like we're moving toward uh, what, what God has created for us. We say often here that, that we want people to discover purpose. God has a dream for your life in mind. We talked about Joseph, I, I think, a couple weeks ago and how Joseph was given a dream by God. God gives a picture. And he, he, when he's giving a picture, he's declaring the end from the beginning. He's letting you know before, he told Israel, before they went into the promised land, that he had a purpose and he had a promise. And we're going to look through uh, three things today, three very simple things that, that are a part of bringing us into our God-given promise from God. In fact, we're going to start with the promise. Number one is God begins with a promise. The God who knows the end from the beginning always begins with a promise. I've, I've had this, you know, my own life, I, I'll be praying for something and God will bring me to a promise of Scripture. He'll bring me to a promise in His Word. I'll be praying for a particular need, and God will remind me that He's my provider. I'll be praying for healing for someone, and God reminds me of what His Word says, and, and that is a promise from God. God is not just a promise giver like many people are. He's a promise keeper. So when he gives a promise, he backs it up by his name, by his reputation, by his very word. And so he, he backs it up. But he also is one that when God is telling you, it's kind of like if, you know, if you're traveling to a destination and you're meeting up with somebody and you call ahead, hey, what's it like there? What's the weather like? What's the climate like? What should I wear? How should I get ready for this trip? And they describe to you the present environment that they're currently standing in. It's not where you are yet, but it's where you're going to be, but they're already there. Can I just tell you, God's already where you're going. He's already, when he's saying the end from the beginning, it's because he's already seen it. He's already there. And God gives us a picture, but somewhere along the way, oftentimes, what we start out, last week I gave you that passage where we saw how Jesus told the disciples, cross over to the other side. And while they were crossing over on the boat, a storm came. It's funny how sometimes God just gives us the command, or he gives us the instruction, or he gives us the promise. But he doesn't tell us the things along the way. In fact, I think that's intentional, because if he told us, what was going to happen between here and there, we might not want to go. We might not think we'll make it through. But God doesn't start by describing all the things. You know, you ever been around somebody who, you know, they're, they're just so negative about everything, and, and you try to get excited, and they try to de-excite you? I don't know if that's a word, but it's what they do, you know. You try to be on fire, and they're fire extinguishers. Like, you're just trying to, you're trying to see something happen. You're trying to move in a certain direction, and they just can't quite see it. We're going to be Psalm, uh, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 16.1. Tells a, a story in Israel. We're going to look at David a little bit today. In 1 Samuel 16 is when God calls David. You know of David from slaying Goliath. We know of him from his greatest victory, but there wouldn't have been a David and Goliath story without David being in the middle, without David being transformed by the promise of God. And this is, quickly we'll look at this, 1 Samuel 16. It begins with God coming to a prophet named Samuel, and he gives him a word. And his word is this, the current king who was chosen, who had been called, who had been anointed by God himself, Saul, has really fallen from his calling and purpose. He hasn't walked worthy of his calling. In fact, he's turned his heart against God because of things like the fear of man and, and what p opinions would be. And he made, he made decisions based on what seemed good to him, but not what God had said. And as a result, he becomes a backslidden and eventually a tormented king. Uh, so God comes to Samuel who's really mourning about the unfulfilled promise of the life of Saul. 
And God comes to him, and here's what he says. How long will you mourn for Saul? I think some of us are stuck in the middle because we're mourning over what didn't happen, what didn't work out, who left, who said something about us that should have been there for us. We're, we're mourning over old history. God comes to Samuel, and he says, why are you still mourning over Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Here's what you need to do. Fill your horn with oil. I'm not done, God's saying. He says, I've got, I've got another king. I've, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I, listen to what God says, I have provided myself a king among his sons. Before David even found a Goliath, before David even knew that he was made for something greater, God had his number. God saw him, selected him, called him, purposed something for him. And, and, and Samuel in this moment has to recognize what God has said instead of going over old history. I, I just want to say that sometimes we are stuck and God wants us unstuck. And the reason we're stuck is because we can't let go of what's happened. We can't let go of what's been said, what's been done, and maybe what's happened is our own failure. But God doesn't want us stuck there. He says, Samuel, it's time for a fresh oil. It's time for a new anointing. It's time for a new king. And so let's fast forward in the story to verse 12. He sends and brings David in. And he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. This is him. And Samuel took the horn of oil. He gets all Pentecostal. Uh, he takes the horn of oil. Some of y'all have had like the, you know, you've been in churches where they did like the little cross and they do like the, 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 the cute anointing. Some of you have all been a Pentecostal and you've had oil poured on your head and it messed all your hairdo up. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. Then that's what happens. He takes a horn of oil and pours it over David's head, representing the filling and choosing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. So he anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What's happening for David? This is a significant moment. David has, and if you know the background of the story, I skipped the passages for time, but David's kind of the outcast in his family. He's the one that doesn't even get invited to the party. And yet, God, God has his name. He has his number. He's, he's chosen him. When God's chosen you, it doesn't matter who's rejected you. When God says yes to you, it doesn't matter if you've had a thousand no's before you. And, and so I've, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen God open doors that lots of people wanted to keep shut. And, and when you've got God getting you out of the middle place. We've got God giving you a promise. God always starts with a promise. And here's David's promise. God anoints him through Samuel. The Holy Spirit comes upon David. Now, if I'm, if I'm in Samuel's shoes or if I'm in David's shoes, let me put myself in David's shoes for a moment. If I'm David, I'm thinking that this is the moment that the limousine's gonna pull up. They're gonna roll out the red carpet and say, let's go to the throne. Anybody else like me? Like, like that's, you get a promise, a word from God, and you go, okay, God, where is it? And, and, and you're looking for it. But, but for David, there is no limo, because I know they didn't have them, in case anybody's wondering. They're like, where did this guy go to seminary? <laughs> I didn't, but that's another story. Um, there's no camel with the red carpet. There's no, no, no. He, uh, he, he goes back to what he was doing before he was anointed. He goes back to taking care of. He was his dad's kind of assistant, his shepherd's hand. He, he'd be out there taking care of sheep. It's a lonely job, a dirty job. A, 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 and he's, he goes back to obscurity, even though he has significance. 
So don't ever judge your present circumstance. Don't ever judge your identity, your worth, your value to God, or your call. Don't ever measure it by your present environment. Don't ever measure it by what you see around you or, or where God's placed you. Because maybe, just maybe, God has you exactly where he needs you to be for the promise to happen. And we're going to see why in just a moment. But I, I want you to catch this, verse 19. So Saul, fast forward a little bit, Saul, the current king, the backslidden king, the, he, he becomes tormented, and he hears, they, they say, hey, there's a musician. He says, go get me a musician. They, they've heard about David, who's out taking care of the sheep, but he's writing psalms, and he's playing music, and, and they say, so send me, he calls to Jesse, his father, he says, send me your son David, but here's what I want you to catch, who's with the sheep? <laughs> Where's David when... The king invites him to his court. Where's David when a door is going to open? He's with the sheep. He's in the same place he was before Samuel showed up, before he was anointed. See, sometimes God will give you a picture. Sometimes he gives a Joseph a picture. Remember Joseph's dream? What was the dream? He, he told Joseph as a young man, you're going to be a ruler and your brothers are going to bow down to you. And, of course, he told everybody that he thought would be excited. He said, brothers, by the way, it's good news. You're going to bow down to me one day. Anybody got siblings? You'd be excited to hear that too? Yeah, his brothers weren't either. And so they actually attacked him and sold him into slavery. See, sometimes God just gives you a picture. And, and, and you don't see the full picture maybe, but you just get a promise. I want to talk about a promise for a moment. Second Peter 1.3, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything you need is actually found in God. See, the lie from the very beginning, the enemy's lie from the very beginning, and the world's lie is this. You don't have everything you need in God. You've got to go to another source, another place, depend on something else other than God to find your fulfillment, to find what you need for provision, whatever it is. There's this, 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 this counterfeit because we don't know what the Bible has told us all along, that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And how has he given to us? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory. God gives us, see, see if you know who the God is that you serve, you know what you have. You're not quite with me. If you know who God is, you know what you have in him. When you have a relationship with the healer, it's a lot better than just having a miracle of healing. <laughs> if you have a relationship with Jehovah Jireh, the provider, it's a lot better than just one need being met. And it comes to the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has given all of us promises that through these promises you may be partakers of God's divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world that, that's in the world through lust. So, so the world is, is, is fallen. The world has a counterfeit lie that says, hey, you can, be, you can find fulfillment in all these things, and ultimately that's the story of sin. It never can fulfill what it promises to fulfill. But God's word always comes with a promise, and it's a promise that brings true, lasting freedom, true, lasting life. And he says these are exceedingly great and precious promises 
And they actually cause us, one, to escape the counterfeit, but to find something far greater. Jeremiah 33.3 describes kind of how we walk into this. Uh, This is so important because your God-given purpose is tied to a relationship with the God of purpose. And so it says this, call to me and I will answer you. This isn't just for preachers and pastors. This is for every person, every child of God. Call to me and God says, I'm going to answer you. Not only that, I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you don't know. How many realize you don't know what you don't know until you find out you don't know it? (laughs) God says, call to me, and I'm going to answer you. And not only am I going to answer you, but I'm going to show you things you don't even know you need yet. I'm going to show you things you haven't even been praying for yet. I'm going to show you a picture. Number two is after God gives you the promise and after he gives you the picture, God brings you through a process. This is where it's fun, not really, but the process, the process, Isaiah 42, 16, God said, I will bring the blind by a way they don't know, and I will lead them in paths they have not known. See, without God, we were spiritually blind. We were looking for a way forward, but couldn't find it. He says, but I'm going to make darkness light before them, the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them, and I will not forsake them. That's, not, that's good news, church. God gives us a promise, but we don't know between where we are and where we're going to be, how we're going to get there. And honestly, I don't think very often God shows you how. He tells you the what. He may tell you the who, but he doesn't tell you the process. And that's what I want us to focus on because the process is where God really makes a man, where he really makes a woman. It's where he really makes us into the person. See, David is anointed king and spends more than a decade not sitting on a throne because God was more concerned. See, with the last guy, Saul, he had a king early, or he had a kingdom early. He had a throne early on, but he didn't have the character to stay on that throne. He had gift, and he had anointing, and, 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 and he had a purpose, but he never realized his potential. And the reason why he never realized his potential, he forsook God. The reason why he didn't get closer to God is because he never was in a process where he had that transformation take place. But David gets a promise and then goes through a process. Everybody wants a promise. Nobody wants a process. But a process is necessary to get us Not only where God wants us, but to make us into who God wants us to be. Because anybody can get there, not everybody can stay there. And Saul's an example of that. David became a king before he ever had a throne. He had the heart for God's people before he ever was recognized as their leader. Joseph got a dream from God and then spent the next decade of his life living completely opposite the dream, the picture, the promise. And in the midst of that is the process. Now, I don't know about you, I like to, I don't like to wait. Anybody else? Like, you don't like to wait. You think that fast food should be fast. You drive up to a light, and you're already evaluating at that red light which car looks the slowest, and I'm not going to get behind him. Okay, I'm not alone. Good. (laughs) You're making lane choices based on which one has the best acceleration. (laughs) You're choosing the grocery line based on how many items are in their cart. Okay. Good, I'm not alone. Jesus waited 30 years. 
And then his ministry began after his baptism at the, river, the Jordan River. Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. And we celebrate what Jesus did in three and a half years. But God the Father at the Jordan River looked at the first 30 years of the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And for 30 years as the Son of Man, fully man, fully God, but as the Son of Man lived a sinless life. Lived to us in obscurity lived in a place as the carpenter's son in Nazareth. And God looks at that hidden season of his life, and the father says over the son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We, we emphasize the three and a half years, but there would be no three and a half years without the 30. Are, are you with me? There would, be no, there would be no Goliath falling without a lion and a bear. There would be no Joseph coming to the palace without a process that made Joseph into the person that he was called to be. Jesus one day is preparing to go to Jerusalem. And as he's going to the feast, uh, the, the, the sons, his half-brothers, the sons of Joseph and Mary, they don't believe him that he is the Son of God. They don't believe that he's the Messiah yet. Now they will. James is one of those who would put their faith in him after the resurrection. But right now, they're kind of critical. They're like, hey, if you really are this, why don't you go publicly tell everybody? And this is Jesus' response. I love how Jesus never responded to pressure. John 7, verse 6, then Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come. Your time's always ready. Anybody relate to that? Like, my time's always now. My time's always ready. You know, we've, we've kind of conditioned for that. Don't, you know, we, we used to tell people, work hard, save up, you know, then you can buy it. Now we just say, you know, charge it. Uh, we, 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 we skip the process. There was no amens with the charging it message. Okay. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. We just sung a minute ago about trusting him. And it, sometimes the place we have to trust him the most is in the process, when we're in the middle. Can I just tell you, and, and hopefully through the series, you've been reminded that God's with you in the middle. He's not just at the beginning and at the end, but he's with you in the middle to get you where you need to be. But while he's with you, you can trust him. You can trust him in the process. You can trust his timing and his ways. And he says, commit your works to the Lord. Now, if we can put that next picture on the screen. I bought this puzzle to illustrate this today. Um, I'm not a puzzle guy. Are there any puzzle people in here? One, one or two people? Okay. Um, I'm not a puzzle person because I'm not a patient person always. So I bought this, this puzzle. It's got this picture you can see on the screen. I have no idea what that's about. There's like lanterns or something on the ground. Um, it was either this or a cat drinking a, a martini. So you got this one. And so, so here's where, here, here's the picture. This is, this is the final product of the puzzle. Now, it's a 750-piece puzzle, which isn't terribly much, but it's too much for me for a Sunday morning. Okay, but, but here's, here's the picture. God gives us a promise. He gives us a picture. But sometimes we, we see that for a moment. We're like, okay, God, sign me up. But then along the way, we open the box, and we find out, oh, it looks like, go to the next one. It looks like this. That's why I don't like puzzles, because I just want it, I want it to be done. I want it to be complete. I just want to get there. Anybody just want to get there? Like, you've just got all the puzzle pieces, and you've got them all on the table, and it doesn't make sense. And here's how God works. We, we have a puzzle. God shows us a picture. He shows us the final product, but then along the way, he gives us one 
piece at a time. One piece at a time. And this is where in 17 years of being in ministry, I feel like people have gotten the most messed up. Because they, they get it when there's a promise, and we celebrate the promise. We celebrate when God moves at an altar, and, and we see God begin to move in our hearts, and we see God begin to answer prayer, and, 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 but then he gives us a peace, and we don't like the peace. We like the final product. But I've, I, years ago, I did my first puzzle. I think it was my mom. We had this really intricate painting that was made into a puzzle, and somebody gave it to us, and I feel like that's one of the gifts that's more of a punishment than it is a gift. Like, here, here's some work for you to do. I didn't think you had enough to do, so here's a puzzle. No, anyway. Uh, but my, my middle son loves puzzles. In fact, he's going to probably put this thing together if I don't mess up all the pieces before he gets to it. But uh, here, here's the thing. God has all the pieces. And right now, while you're in the middle, you're wondering, well, how is this going to change? It's one of the pieces. God, God you know, who, who am I going to marry? I'm, I'm praying for my spouse. It's one of the pieces. Where am I supposed to live? Where am I supposed, when am I supposed to make this decision? Or, and, and, and there are these pieces that he may not show you all the pieces in the beginning, but here's what God's after. In the process, we grow closer to the one who has all the pieces. And if we trust that God has given us the final picture and he is good, as we sing about every Sunday, and he really is faithful and he really is good, then we can trust that he can give us the pieces just at the moment we need them. Because the reason, too, is I'm, when I put a puzzle together, sometimes I think a piece fits and it doesn't fit. Now, my, my son has, over the years, I've collected a bag of various, there's Star Wars puzzles and there is Spider-Man puzzles in this bag. And there's one piece of something else. I have no idea what this is. But as much as I may want to include this piece, it doesn't match the picture. And, 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 and when I'm not trusting God and I'm trying to fit my own pieces in, well, God, I, I know what you said, I know what you showed me, but I'd rather do it this way. It doesn't fit. Well, well, well God, I look at the picture and I'm missing a few pieces. I, I don't see it all yet. And, and, and so let me make some things happen. Nobody in here has ever tried to do that. You try to make it work. But it doesn't fit. And then God begins to lead us, and in his love, and in his mercy comes along, and he says, no, no, I've got to take this out. I've got to heal this area of your heart. I've got to call you to surrender this peace. I've got to let you trust. I've got to, I, I, I've got to have you allow me to work on your character. Because if you don't allow me, this peace won't fit to make that picture complete. And that's why we've got to trust him in the process. We can't force the wrong piece in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the process. Can I just tell you today, the process with God is never punishment. The process isn't punishment. The process is necessary. The process is necessary, and you don't want to rush it. You don't want to rush it. I want us to look at this. Let's go ahead to a couple chapters, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, David begins to have some success. He begins to have some victory against the enemies of Israel. So the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has killed his thousands. And David is tens of thousands, and Saul was really happy about this. Oh, it doesn't say that. Okay, I'm reading. 
Verse 8, it says, Saul was very angry because insecure people will always feel rejected by others being celebrated. We want to have a culture, one of our values is honor is our response to people. It's our response to God. That's our worship. But we want to value every single person created in the image of God. That means we're going to celebrate people, not tolerate people. We're going to celebrate people. And we, when we celebrate people, you've got to be careful when someone's being celebrated that you don't feel rejection. <laughs> Here's my opinion. I, I, think, I think Saul should have been preparing David instead of rejecting David. And so the saying displeased him, and he said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So David, Saul, I, David, from that day forward. And it happened on the next day, a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear. Listen to this, the very end of verse 10. There was a spear in Saul's hand. You know, David's there. He's got the worship team ready to go. He's playing, and he notices something's different today. My boss doesn't look so happy. He's got a spear in his hand. What's this about? <laughs> and watch what it says. So Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But, but David escaped his presence twice. David escaped being pinned by the spear. Saul's trying to kill him because he's become jealous of David. So David therefore departed from there. Chapter two, verse 22, verse 1. If we can put that on the screen. David had to leave. And he departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So, so here's David. David has all the promise, and he's got the picture. I'm going to be the next king. But he doesn't know the pieces are going to look like Saul holding a spear. That the pieces are going to look like you're going to have to flee for your life. Anybody, like, you, you thought you had it figured out, and then you've had some detours along the way. Anybody besides me? Like, I, I've had a couple detours. And, 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 and some people I thought it would, things would work out, they didn't work out so good. And, and, and maybe they even threw some spears. But I want you to catch this because David does something. He ends up at a place called Adullam, which actually means, the name Adullam means waiting on the justice of God. There's something you have to do while you're in the middle. He's going to spend the next season of his life in a cave in Adullam instead of on a throne as king. But he's right where he needs to be. Because while he's there, after a while, something begins to happen. Verse 2, everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is discontented gathered to him. And so he became captain over them, and they were about 400 men. You've heard me preach about the mighty men of David. This is where it started. They became champions, warriors. They were the Navy SEALs of Israel. But they didn't start like that. They started as men. They started as people in pain and in a process. And because David was not somebody who threw spears back, David is in a doulum waiting on God's time, waiting on God's process. And while he's there in a cave, he's staying healthy. He's worshiping God. He's praying. He's not stewing in bitterness. Oh, that's Saul. If I had a chance, I would kill him. He, he's going to get what he deserves. That's never David's heart. 
And, and, and if we're not careful, if we don't heal of what people have done to us, we're going to bleed over a bunch of people that never hurt us. God brings David mighty men, God, but they come, they come looking like a bunch of misfits. They come looking like a bunch of people whose life has discarded. They're in debt, distress, discontent. They're not warriors. They're not champions yet. They're going to be. But they get around David, and David hasn't been bitter. David hasn't been trapped by his past. David's let go. He's allowed God to bring healing to his heart. And because of that, he's not bleeding over them, making them bitter like him. But he's able to make them champions like him. Make them warriors for God like him. Joseph, we're almost done. Joseph in Genesis 40. Let me read you a couple verses. I I shared about Joseph a few weeks ago, but I want you to catch this. In Genesis 40, verse 14, Joseph interprets the dream of two men. They're called the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And when he comes to them, he interprets their dreams, and here's what he says to the first, who's going to be restored to the the favor of the king of Egypt. He says, remember me when it's well with you. Now, now here's the scene. Joseph is in prison. Joseph has been rejected. Joseph is locked up, but Joseph is ministering in the place of his process. Some of us think, for me to, to be used by God, I've got to arrive at the destination. No, that's not the way it works. All of us are in process. Minister while you're waiting. Serve others while you're needing sir, while you're needing help yourself. Meet needs around you while you're waiting for God to meet your need. While you're praying for healings for your own life, pray for it for other people. And so Joseph, while he's in prison, he interprets the dream of these guys. He says, hey, I've got good news. The first guy, he says to him, he says, hey, you're going to be restored. That's what your dream means. But remember me when you get that job back and you're in the court of the most powerful man in the world. Remember me. Show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. Verse 21, so Pharaoh restores this butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. He's got the best job in the kingdom. Verse 23, yet the chief butler, watch this, did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Joseph probably has a moment where he's thinking, okay, any moment now, this guy's going to mention my name to Pharaoh, that I'm the one that, that, that interpreted his dream. And any moment now, he's going to roll out the red carpet and pull out that camel, and I'm going to ride all the way to the throne and come before the Pharaoh, and I'm going to be out of here. That's what he thinks. But the butler, somewhere along the way, you ever do something for somebody and they don't thank you? Or they even leave? Joseph has to deal with that in his process. This guy forgot him. But the very next chapter, verse 1, look what it says. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. (laughs) Two full years. From when Joseph interpreted the dream and from when the baker or the butler forgot about him, two full years later, Pharaoh has a dream. (laughs) 
See, God had shown Joseph as a young man, you're going to be in a position of power. Your brother's going to bow down to you. But Joseph didn't know that wasn't about him getting a position and being exalted himself. It was so that people could be saved during a season of famine. Those of you who know Joseph's story, God had a purpose for Joseph. God saw the bigger picture. And in the middle, we don't see the big picture. That's, it's hard for us to see the final product. We just see pieces. And Joseph's getting discouraged, I imagine. It's human nature. Why am I forgotten? Two full years. Here's, here's what I think. If the butler had told Pharaoh about Joseph, hey, there was this guy who actually interpreted my dream. You know what would have happened? Joseph would have gotten released. Joseph would have gone what he hoped for, what he had prayed for, relief from his circumstances, and Joseph would have left, probably even left Egypt. Thank God I'm out of here. But you know where he wouldn't have been? In the very place to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. Two years looked like being forgotten. Two years looked like rejection. But God's process for Joseph was he was right in position. He was in position for his purpose. He was in position to answer the dream of Pharaoh. God gives you the right peace at the right time. You've got to do three things. Let me give these to you quickly, and then we're going to pray. To get out of the middle, to experience the fulfillment of the promise, to survive the process, <laughs> you've got to be good at practicing forgiveness. Because along the way, people are going to say, do things, life's going to happen, and you're going to have to be good at forgiving, good at letting go. The next one is be faithful where you are at with what you have. Well, God, when is this going to happen? When am I going to arrive? Be faithful where you are with what you have now. The last one, let go of what was to move forward to what God has for you. Can I just remind you that you serve a God and we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. Would you stand to your feet? He knows the end from the beginning. Those of you who are taking notes, number three is progress. I won't preach this, but I just want to tell you God takes you from a promise through a process into progress. God's not after our perfection, but he is at us growing. But I want you to see something. Because Paul, later in his life, while he's in a prison himself, he says, I know. I'm confident of this. He says, I, I forget what's behind me to press on to what's ahead of me. So, so I, I've got to let go of some stuff to grab a hold of something better. And maybe that's where you are today. You're stuck, and the reason you're stuck is you're holding on to some stuff that's happened. Shame is what reminds us of where we've fallen. Jesus came to set us free from shame. The world says shame on you. Jesus says shame off you. I'm setting you free. I love what Paul said. I think it was to the Philippians. He said, he began a good work in you. I'm confident of this. He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you, he's the alpha 
and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he's everything we need in between. And if you're in the middle right now, I think all of us are in some place in our life. If we've got God with us, we're right where we need to be. Brian, it, it looks like a dark cave. It looks like a doolum. I'm waiting on some things to happen. Okay, he's with you. And while you're waiting, don't bleed on people that didn't hurt you. <laughs> Forgive, let go, and move forward in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.